Well, I just got finished reading a remarkable book. It's not the kind of book that uh, a just turned 60 year old man is necessarily going to read every day, but uh, Monique Pollack uh, from Cote St. Luke, uh, born and bred in Cote St. Luke, fantastic author, woman of many talents. Mm -hmm. uh, you wrote that book. We're going to get a, into it a little bit uh, uh, later in the interview, Monique, uh, The Brass Charm, because it's got a great story to it. But uh, let's just tell viewers, first of all, uh, first and foremost, you grew up in Cote St. Luke. Yes, and my first library was called the Cote St. Luke Library. I'm older than you are, Mike, so you may not remember, but it was in the Cote St. Luke Shopping Centre, and it was upstairs, and Eleanor Lundgen, for whom the library is now named, was our librarian. And well, I remember, I rem have such clear memories of Eleanor, and it was a very peaceful, wonderful place, and my parents brought us frequently, and that's where I first took out loads of books. Well, having just turned 60, Monique, and of course, you look younger than me, uh -huh. uh, but but having just turned 60, of course, I have very vivid memories of that library and of Eleanor London and, you know, going to that second floor of the Cozy Loop Shopping exactly. Center. And uh, there was two sections. You turn to the right, it was the children's <laughs> and to the left. So... You grew up in Cote St. Luke. Um, do, do, were you a book reader? Were you an avid book reader as a kid? Yes, always, always. My parents kept in, uh, we lived on Wavell. My dad only sold the house, I guess, two years ago. Wow. When the market was very good. <laughs> um, and uh, my parents kept all their, their adult books for adults were in my room, weirdly. I don't know why, but <laughs> I read them all. I read books I did not understand. I read like, I don't know, stuff that was probably most inappropriate for a little kid. And uh, they had weird, a weird book collection. I can't even explain it. Some was religious, some was all kinds of stuff and modern bestsellers. And I read everything. And that's the room on Wavell Road where I first started to write. A little room upstairs. I would just go. I was determined. One day, my dream was just publish one book, have one book in the library. And wow, you've more than accomplished that. That's for sure. Now, of course, your, your dad, Max Pollack, who... Uh, judge, member of parliament, did so much, member of the yeah, National Assembly. He was a municipal judge in Cote Saint. And the municipal judge. Yeah. And of course, your late mom. Tell tell me about your parents. Well, they were, that my dad is still alive, thank goodness, and a little bit getting frail at 91. And uh, my mom was a force of nature. They both were. I don't know how they made it work, especially because they were both very flirtatious types, very both very extroverted, kind of a wild house to grow up in. And um, my mother was the storyteller. She was a fantastic storyteller. And my dad, when he used to tell stories, we used to go, oh, he's so boring. But he ended up over the years becoming an excellent storyteller because he learned from my mom also. So uh, she and they used to have these big parties. They lived at the corner of Wavell and Melling for anyone of our vintage. And yeah. there were there must have been days where there was like a lot of alcohol and a lot of you know money to spend on parties. And they would have like, I think well over, at least to a little kid, it seemed like well over a hundred people and several bartenders, some inside, some in the garden. And when I would look for my mom, there were so many, I was a little kid. I just had to look for a circle of people listening to my mom telling a story. That's where she always was. Yes, and, absolutely. Now is that the stories were never the same. She would tell a story, let's say it was about the kids or the yeah. coach the shopping center. She had stories about coach and shopping center. I mean, remember. And every, every time she'd tell a story, it would change a little bit. And I have a brother and a sister. And we used to be there like, did that happen? And we're like, 
don't think so. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Now, where? So, tell us where your parents are from. Yes. Uh, and their backstory, which has yeah. really had an impact on your life still for today. Sure. For sure. So, my parents were both from Holland. They met at law school and at Leiden Law School, very famous law school in Holland. And at the time, my mother had just. She was maybe a year out of a concert, maybe a little bit more, two years, year and a half out of a concentration camp. They're both, my mom is completely Jewish, was completely Jewish, and she was imprisoned at Theresienstadt, also called Terezin, in what is now uh, the Czech Republic, uh, about half an hour outside of Prague. My dad, who's part Jewish, half Jewish, it's complicated, his, his dad was Jewish, he was, um, on a farm. He was safe on a farm. It wasn't easy for him either, but compared to my mother, he had it pretty good and the people were kind to him. And they met at law school. And my mom, and this is where sort of I come in because I'm born into this family. My mom never talked about what happened to her during the war. She just, it was like complete shutdown. We used to hear the word, like it was always whispered, camp, camp. But we knew it wasn't like I went to Y country camp. It wasn't that kind of camp. No. It was someplace bad. And she kept the secret. She didn't even really tell my dad very much about it till 60, more than 60 years later when I was wow. doing research for another book, a book that became this book called What World is Left, a very important part of my life because for that book, I got my mom to tell me the story and then I fictionalized it and wrote the, the first book. Okay, so so very interesting like backstories with both of them. So growing up, what was your, what did you want to be? What did you want to, what do you want to be your profession? Uh, that's funny because I always want to be a teacher and a writer and anyone who's watching who grew up on Wavell, they were probably in my class reluctantly because I had like a classroom in the basement <laughs> of the blackboard. And I, I mostly just did, did attendance. That's what I thought being a teacher was, you know, uh -huh. calling the roll call of names. Yeah. And sometimes because the kids, they didn't like my school very much. Who wants to play school? <laughs> except the teacher uh, so uh, at the end I was mostly teaching like stuffed animals but I didn't care and then it's very funny because when I did become a teacher I started at Concordia I think in uh, when I was like I don't know maybe 20 I was a TA at Concordia and they asked me at the interview what's your you have any experience I was like 20 years old what experience yeah <laughs> oh yes I have years and they looked at me like what and I'm like Wavell Road <laughs> taught all the children <laughs> and I didn't mention the stuffed animals <laughs> So you, but you did pursue it, at, but you did pursue it like at Marianopolis. Where was your full, how many years were you there and what did you teach? At I, was, I, I ended up, I taught a little bit at Concordia as a TA and I kept teaching part-time for a number of years there. And then I was very lucky because in those days, now there's lots of jobs everywhere, but um, there were not a lot of, of teaching jobs in CJEPs and I had gone to Marinopolis and it really was a dream to go back there. So I think when I was about 24, 24, yeah, 24, I was rehired and I stayed there like really quite a long time because I mean, I, I know I have the, the, the full pension, but I'm bad in math, but you know, officially I worked 35 years, but I worked actually a little bit longer than that at Marinopolis teaching English and humanities. And honestly, the correcting was sometimes a nuisance but I never had a bad day at work. I adored my job. Well, I know having a daughter who went there for two years. But I didn't teach her, sadly. No, no. Uh, and, and trust me, um, I've never seen anyone so eager to get out of the car and go to school wow. and come home with a big smile on her face. Yeah. It's a really remarkable place. Yeah. 
And all the teachers, you could see, they love being there. Yeah. And I've seen them at our career fairs for the school board. It's a wonderful institution. Yeah. So did you retire because it was just time? Because uh, you just retired yeah. recently. Yeah, I first I want to say about Marinopolis, what makes it great, like I'm happy to hear about the teachers, it's really the kids. I always knew that. I knew it when I went and yeah. I knew it when I worked there too. Yes, you can have great teachers. It's amazing kids. And it's such a wonderful like learning environment. People want to learn and ah, it was just, it was very special. That's the part I missed. I retired because I had completed my 35th year, which gave me like a, a perfectly good pension. Um, and I wanted to have more time to write and a little bit more time for my uh, personal life. Okay, so let's talk about books. How many books have you published and when did that all start? See, I'm smiling because I'm so proud because I still have the little girl in me that just wanted one. Uh, yes. I published 32 books and I have- Unbelievable. And I have to wait, I'm not done. I got two more that are, two more that are coming out in the next whatever year or two that are already in revision stage and so on. And I'm working a third that no one has yet purchased, but I'm hoping they will, and a fourth that I've started. So I'm always, I can't seem to stop. We're, we're going to get into the new book in a few minutes, uh, which is available at the uh, CSL Public Library. Uh, but um, how many books have you written related to the Holocaust? Quite a few. Um, because it's really, uh, I kind of felt like the one I wrote about my mom, which is called What World is Left. And by the way, when I was working on that book, it's many years ago, but I spoke at the library about um, the process of working on that book, because at the time, it's years ago, but it was, a, it was a, a very memorable time for me. And I think my parents might have both been there in the audience. At any rate, um, that book is the main one, because that's a st story based on my mom's experience. It's called What World is Left. It's been reissued. I think it's had a dozen printings and now that it has been reissued with a new cover and a study guide that whatever I helped write. It's also come out in French last year, What to Skill to Rest with Setentrion. And then I have two other books, one which is called The Taste of Rain. And that's set in uh, China, believe it or not, during World War II. And it was a, another big research project, not, as so, not about anyone I knew, but about a story that touched me a lot. And then a book also Holocaust related, but set in Montreal called Room for One More. And that's based on the story of a Montreal, a real Montreal family that um, adopted a child, a boy, a teenager, who was a refugee, a war refugee, a Jewish German war refugee. So the books, uh, the book, uh, The Brass Charm, uh, our librarian, Janine West, gave me a copy. <laughs> and I, I have my copy here as well, uh, which I'm going to part with. But I, I must tell you, Monique, I didn't read it once. I think I read it three times because oh, not only is the story great, but the illustrations. Who yeah. is Marie Lafrance? Marie Lafrance. I haven't met her, but um, I'm going to meet her. Apparently, she's there's going to be a launch on November 20 at the uh, at the Holocaust Museum and the Jewish Public Library. And Marie Lafrance says she's shy, but she's planning to come. And I said, come and say a few words. She's a French Canadian illustrator with a, and her specialty really is historical. So um, that's the kind of picture books that she illustrates. She does other kind of illustration work as well, but she did a lot of research for this book. And it was the, the writer in, in the publishing industry, I don't have nothing, I, in fact, we never had a face-to-face -face discussion or even a phone call. It's all through the publisher, but I was very, very happy when I heard she was doing it. And 
She wanted a lot of research, some of the research tools I was able to provide because I had photos from when I had been to Theresienstadt. So she, the, when, I saw the, um, when I saw the illustrations, I, I was speechless, really. So this book is basically about a little girl who's uh, got a tragedy because the roof of their house blows off and she's feeling very sorry for herself and her life seems to be ruined. And, um, and then she has her Oma who tells her a story that changes her life. So this is a true story basically. And you know what else? You don't know this. And you see, this is my two years older than you. I don't know what year it was, but there was a terrible storm in Cote St. Luke. And we lived on Wavell, we lived near Melling, and at the other end, like past Park Haven, I don't know what kind of weird storm it was, if it was a tornado, it was just a little kid, but I believe there were two houses where the roofs blew off. Wow. And I remember walking by with, we went for a walk to look the next day. And I remember being like, oh my God, like it was unimaginable for a child. And when I was working on the book, I was like, I need, it took me a very long time to write this book, believe it or not, five years, even though it's 900 words, like not every single day, but it was like, I was constantly adjusting and it wasn't working. And I needed the girl in the present to have a, an event happen, right? Something. And I found the, the event in my memory. Interesting. It, it was that. And also another thing, just, I know I'm like, I go this way when I talk, like it all expands, but um I'm working on a nonfiction book now. It's, it's already slated for publication and it's about memory and it's a kid's book, but I'm very interested in memory as for many things, but one as a source of inspiration because when you write and I'm sure when you make movies or make paintings or your the, the memories are really a big part of our, of our lives and, and a source of inspiration. Absolutely. So this, this story is, is basically a true story from, from, this brass charm, uh, and I mean, I read the the report in one of the newspapers about it. So it was tell us the story about the brass charm, which you have okay. right now, which is not well, the original brass exactly. charm. Exactly, this is now the silver charm. But yes. okay, so I I love to tell the story, and in a way, you won't need to read the book, but doesn't matter. And I was going to say also when you said you that still you need read to read the book because I read the story. I knew the yeah. whole story beforehand, but the way it the way it unfolded and the way I saw how this young girl's life changed mm -hmm. and how she when she heard from Oma her story yeah you still have to read the book and you have to yeah. look at the illustration well, I was going to tell also I was going to say that Oma is the Dutch word for grandmother so that's right. what I, I called my grandmother and my daughter called my mom always yeah um but that really picture books I'm a huge fan of picture books and they are meant for readers of all ages the, the, yeah. I'm not saying mine's the best but the best picture books Adults love them too. And that's yes. that's why they're, you know, it's they're hard to get them just right. Okay. So after the book about my mom came out, the first book that I wrote, it's fiction, but based on the secrets that she finally revealed. Okay. So after I wrote that book, it came out in Dutch. And we went to Hall. I went, I was invited to Holland for the launch. And actually, I should just quickly say, because viewer listeners and viewers might find this interesting. My mom knew Anne Frank. They were the same age. And wow. they were same school in grades they were both in grade seven in different classes so there was a couple of launch events in Holland one at the Anne Frank house so it was very the whole thing very very meaningful very special anyway the night before we go to Holland I, I live in NDG and I was I had a barbecue for my parents because they said they heard I was going they're like oh yeah we're coming to Holland too we're going to huh. be at the launch that's typical of my parents a very fun kind of zany just had they did good school stuff when they yeah. could 
So the night before we left, my mom gave me a charm. It looked exactly like this, but he was brass. And whenever my question, I still do this with my daughter, and we say, like, what's up? We, we don't say what's new. We say, what's the story, right? What's the story today? What's the story? Yeah. So I said to my mom, what's the story? And I'll hold him here while I tell you the story, okay? So when you first arrived in a concentration camp, it's hard to hold him and talk at the same time. It's leaving him here. Okay. When you first arrived in all the concentration camps, there was a building that they sent you to, or I imagine similar building in other places, but a facility called the Schleuse. And the Schleuse is like the, 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 like the, the, the clearing place, right? I think it has something to do with a dam, what the word means. But um, that's where they did a thorough body search of everyone, every prisoner who entered, even a child. So you need to know that for the story I'm going to tell you that my mom told me. Mom, what's the story of the little, he's ugly, he's brass. Here. He, he was brass. He yeah. looks like a little monkey and a man. He's a combination yeah. of a monkey and a man. Yeah. He's got no diamonds. He was not valuable. He was brass. He was had no value at all. Yeah. So mom, what's the story? And my mother said she had been in the camp for about two weeks. It was her 14th birthday. So I can tell you the date, May 24th, 1943. My okay. mother was sitting on a little step. She was crying. She felt some a, a hand tapping her shoulder and she turned around. And she saw a tall, beautiful German-speaking prisoner. And my mother in Holland, the kids learned to speak German too, so she could have a conversation with her. And the woman said, little girl, why are you crying? And my mom said, I'm crying because it's my birthday today and nobody gave me anything. And the woman gave my mom the brass charm. This is a replica of the brass charm. And I asked my mom, did you ever see her again? And my mom said, no, never saw her. And my mom remained two years, nearly two more years. And um, I did a lot of research about that camp. So if my mother didn't see her, the woman, uh, I would say, chances are like close to certain that the woman either perished in Theresienstadt where many people died of malnutrition, there's a lot of disease like typhus, or more likely, because this is what happened to most of the prisoners, more likely she was sent to Auschwitz where again, statistics would tell us she died. So I had this weird sense when my mother gave me, she didn't just give me the monkey man, she gave me like the story and I became kind of the custodian. I feel like I get a bit choked up even to say it, but like the custodian, the caretaker of this woman's story. And I often think that may have been all that was left of her. If she had children, if my mother was right and she was like early thirties, thirties, if she had children, they were likely already dead. Maybe she had managed to hide them. And, you know, I don't know. But most likely, this woman, when her life ended, her story ended, you know. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it was my responsibility to tell the story. So I made a, a promise to myself, which was that I had the brass one. I would wear him every day for the rest of my life. And next morning I bought a brass chain and I wore him. Everybody who knows me in the last, so I don't know what year it was, maybe it's almost 10 years ago, I have worn that, that little brass man, all the students, everybody hears the story. Right. And unfortunately I lost him in July when we were traveling, but luckily someone had told me, a friend of my sister's a jeweler, shout out to Laurentian jeweler <laughs> in Utrecht. I was there yeah. with my sister and I told the jeweler about the, the story because I always wanted to tell the story. And he said, make a mold. So I have a silver 
replica of the brass charm. And if I would still get him back, my daughter is convinced he's coming back to me. I don't not, not so convinced anymore. It happened when we were traveling one day in the States this summer. Uh, if I get him back, he goes right to the Holocaust Museum here in Montreal, where I should have brought him in the first place. I right. should only have worn the replica. Anyway, yeah, but, but you know what? I'm, I'm kind of over the loss thing. Yes. Because, because really what I realize is important is the, is the story of Exactly. Course. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 and really, uh, you know, you know what I was thinking about when I, when I, when I saw the story, because, you know, we've been watching the news of what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah. And, you know, you saw this little girl whose roof blew off from her house and every day you watch the news and you see the Russians destroying the home that all these innocent people live in across that country. Millions of people lost mm. their houses. They had more than their roofs. Their entire buildings yeah. have been destroyed. And we all know how important it is to go home at night to our house or our apartment, wherever we live, mm. and to just feel safe and secure. And so it, it kind of, you know, I mean, that's another part. Uh, it's not mm. a Holocaust. It's not considered that but you're seeing in, in live and living color people's lives being destroyed yeah, by innocent and war, people yeah war and of course always like the impact on children on adults too but as adults we're right you know we've been through stuff we're maybe better able better stronger but kids that's the yeah you know and and anyway i just i just think we need that stories help i believe stories help they do. And, yeah, yeah. They do. So this book is is available at the Coatsy Luke Public Library. It's available on on Amazon, I'm sure. And uh, can I tell something? First of all, it's also in French. Trésor. Oh yes, of course. Good and, point. Yes. And you know what else? I just want to say that the the publisher. I made three silver. No, I made four. Four of these. One for my daughter. One for me. One for my boyfriend's youngest daughter. And one for the publisher at Scholastic. Um, her name is Diane Kerner because when she read the manuscript, she was reluctant when she heard it was a picture book about the Holocaust. She said, I have an agent. And she said to the agent, I don't even want to read it. I, I do not believe in publishing a, a, a book, what's called a picture book about the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And when she read it, she said, I've changed my mind. So yeah. That's a big, big, like a, a big source of satisfaction for me. Cause I really believe in like, we need to educate kids about reality, about history, but we need to do it of course, in an appropriate way. You don't want to horrify yeah. a child reader, you know? And no, and this is written in such a, uh, a well done format that elementary school students, the higher level. So of course, wearing my hat at the English Montreal School Board, I'm very excited that you'll be visiting uh, I think a few of our schools. A probably few schools. Here. You've got me almost too busy now. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And and so so I, I guess to conclude, yeah. how do those visits work? Well, you know, I was just going to say it's good that you asked that question because I was thinking I should say some of the schools that I get invited to are where there's you know Jewish population, like how we grew up in Cote Saint Luke. But I'm as, like I'm happy to do those visits. Maybe you'll get those kids thinking about their family stories. In their case, maybe it's their great grandparents' stories. Um, but I'm especially pleased when there's like there's a there's a school in Montreal North that I'm going to where there will be no Jewish kids. That's right. Very, very unlikely that there'll be any. And what I find amazing is that I've, I've been to Nunavik for work several times. And of all the stories that I tell, like I'm always telling stories and talking about my books, those ones really the stories of the Holocaust and my mom's story and the monkey man's story. I don't know, it just it reaches people. It's a personal 
example. We all have things that we treasure. We all have moments where people are kind. Oh, I know, just one last thing. I always talk about, um, it was before the pandemic, I read this study that people when they're in a hard time tend to be less kind to others. And that really, what that, when I read that, I'm like, that makes sense to me. Cause I know when I'm in a hard time, I'm like, you just have less patience. But this woman was still kind to my mom. So she's like, I don't know. I never, I don't know her name. I don't really know what she looked like to be on the tall and dark haired, but you know, it's, it's, and she inspired, she's, she's had a big role in my life. And if only she had known, can you imagine exactly. if she had known on May 24th, 1943, that in 2022, there'd be this book about the yeah. children and the daughter of the, of the, of the little girl. And the, and she'd be devastated by the, the girl, the me, the daughter had lost it, but made a replica and she's given it to people she loves. Yeah. I think that woman would think pretty yes. cool. You can imagine, um, you know, through your book, I kind of, you can guess what she looked like because you see an image of a person. Yeah. And so to me, that's what she looked like, you know? Yeah, that's great. And, but I think with kids in schools, it's basically to get them, well, to know about the Holocaust yeah, and to make the connection to things that are going on in the world today, for sure. And also to, to make them realize that stories matter and, to pay attention when people tell them stories, to ask people questions. Like my question, what's the story? You know, like that's a pretty, I think it's a nice way to go through life because yeah. you, I want to keep learning. I, I never get enough. You know, last week someone's like, stop me. So like, I read that book. I, I want to talk to you about my story. I, yeah. I have the phone number. Well, listen, thank, thanks to uh, a NOVA grant from the Jewish Community Foundation, I've been able to start a Holocaust education program oh, across no. the MSB. And we've got a lot of, schools and students from right. the East End who are not Jewish, who don't know a lot about the Holocaust, going into the Holocaust Museum, having speakers like yourself coming there. So it's a mission for me, having yeah. worked at the Canadian Jewish Congress for 10 years, having yeah. had the opportunity to go to Poland uh, with survivors and visit uh, with them the death camps and to hear their stories, their terrible stories firsthand. Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget that experience. So thank you so much for your I time. Guess one quick thing. Go ahead. That just the stories are also all about resilience. These are all the survivors we meet, whatever they've gone through. And that's really, and my mom would have said that too. They, uh, they did not 100%. give up hope. And that's a big, and that's a lesson for us as older people, but especially for the, the kids of today. 100%. So thanks for joining us. I know Eleanor London would be proud to know Monique doing stuff for the <laughs> library. And I'm sure there'll be a lineup for your book uh, as it's made available. All the best, Monique. Thank you. you too. Thank you for all you do. Monique Polak was been my guest.